0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
1: You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees.
2: I'm right there with you, Kate.
1: And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got what? to tell you. Okay. Yeah. This is what's so great about Quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer.
2: And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we're not experts. No, we're not. But we are mm-hmm. two friends who like to talk a lot about serums.
1: Before we get into it, we want to remind you that you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com for links to everything we mention on the show. We're on Twitter at Forever 35 Pod, Insta at Forever 35 Podcast. And there is a Facebook group where the password is Serums.
2: There is also a Forever 35 subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash Forever 35. So if you're not on Facebook, or even if you are on Facebook, and you want to chat with some other Forever 35 listeners, head over there. And if you want to chat with us, I mean, not chat with us, but but chat to us, we have a voicemail number. You can also text us at this number, 781-591-0390. And you can email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com.
1: And you know what? We greatly appreciate when people leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get seen and recognized, and so we are very grateful if you feel like doing that.
0: Yes.
2: So, Kate. Yes, Dory. How's it going? Talk to okay.
1: me. Okay. Okay. Well, I stayed up until past midnight reading my book about my Fey warriors. Wow. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so good. And I have a new thing that is helping me with my bedtime routine that I wanted to share about. I'd love to hear it. Because it was it was made for me by my youngest child. Okay. For Valentine's Day, she made me a present mm-hmm. uh, that she learned how to make on her favorite YouTube show called Life Hacks for Kids. Wow. Great. If I, you have I a like- kid...
2: I like yes. that title. Just like it's very yeah. straightforward, very clear. <laughs> it's a very cute show. I, I
1: think she found it on the Epic reading app that they use for school. And, cute. you know, it's it's taught her something, which is interesting. Yeah. So she followed one of the crafts that they taught on this little YouTube show. And she made me a bed for my iPhone. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> out of a cardboard box, a tiny little cardboard box, and then she used socks that she doesn't wear anymore and stapled them all in and then like balled up one sock to make a pillow. And so like you tuck your phone into this box and it, I put it, it literally is like a little bed for the phone. And I, um, you know, I I put its head on the pillow and then it sleeps under a sock that has been stapled onto the box.
2: my God. (laughs)
1: So this was like very sweet. Also a bit of a gut punch where I was like, oh my God, my kid, like, oh, like this is actually what I need. I do look at my phone too much, especially at night. I don't put my phone away. I get really into just like the kind of, um, Is it serotonin? Whatever that hit is Mm -mm. of like hormones or whatever in your brain that keep you kind of searching for that next thing on the internet. You know, like I close Instagram. I go to Facebook. I close Facebook. I'll go read the CNN app. I'll close that. I'll go back to Instagram. Just keep some, like I haven't checked TikTok. Oh, okay. I'll watch 8 million TikToks. Like that just kind of like the endless scroll that is very hard to put a stop to. So at first I was like, Oh my God, this is so sweet. I'm not going to do this because I'm addicted to my phone. But then you know what? She kept asking me if I was using it. (laughs) I was like, I'm a monster. So I, the other night I tucked, I had, I was in bed and I gave the, I had Anthony, I was like, can you just please put my phone in my phone bed? Because he was standing near my dresser and he tucked it in. At like 9 o'clock. And then I just read my book and I fell asleep at 9.45. Wow. And I was like, huh, this is great. And then I used it again last night. I tucked my phone in. I might have, I was, and like I had, there were a bunch of group chats just blowing up my text inbox. And I said to, I said to, I forget which one, but I was like, I'm going to bed now. And I put my phone into the phone bed which is on my dresser. Do you put it on o'clock. do not disturb? I think my phone naturally is on do not disturb. Like I have it set to go from yes, like yes, yes. nine to 6am or whatever it is. So got it. it was all set. I put it in its bed and then I just got my book out and I read my book from about like nine or nine 30 whenever I did this to mid, you know, after midnight, I just wow. read. And I, it, And the reading did not feel the same as the scrolling, right? Like it doesn't hit my brain in the same way, although it's very titillating, I have to tell you. (laughs) So I just, this is kind of the perfect present and I think I'm going to try to keep using it because it really, it really is helping me kind of break, or not break up, set some boundaries and also really make my nighttime routine feel better. Like it feels better to get into bed and read and kind of drift off to sleep than like have a screen lighting up my eyeballs and like making my brain trip up, you know? Yes. Anyway, I know you're kind of dealing with this too, I mean in a totally different way, but I I would love to hear kind of how your iPad night terror experiment is going because I feel like we're both really Getting the screens out this week and it's making a positive impact.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, before I do, I just want to say I love that there's like, there's no reason why having your phone in a phone bed still in your room should like prevent you from looking at it. Right. But there is something about just like the ritual of putting it to bed and having it be like an actual bed that it sounds like really like switches something off in your brain where you're like okay the phone is in bed now <laughs> can't look at it and i love I that i mean i put it under its little sock
1: blanket yeah and and it's just like well there it is and i did have a i did have this like urge at one point I was like should i just go check my phone and then i was like no, no
0: i don't the phone's need to sleep
1: Yeah, the phone is right. For the phone needs a good ten to twelve hours. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe the phone needs self care. But it Mm -hmm. it it, you know, I know like a phone bed is not a novel idea. Like, isn't it Ariana Huffington who like puts her phone in an actual little bed or drawer? Yeah. But I think it was the combination of it being like away from my bed, on a different part of my bedroom, and also a lot of it for me is like my child saw this as something like she saw that, watched a video, and was like, "Oh,
2: that's <laughs> this good for for my mom."
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and it came from a place of just like pure love. Like it was so sweet. Yeah. That I But I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to use this. Like she made it. It's her own vision. Also, I am kind of like, should you have not used all these socks? Like, and I'm gonna have to buy you more socks. But I'll. I'll show you, I'll share a picture with everybody. I was going to say, we're going to need a visual. We'll put a picture up on the Instagram when this episode comes out. I will text one to you today. Great. Um, but yes, thank you, Dory. I think that is a really good point. There is something about the act. Cause I've tried like shoving it in a drawer and I've tried, you know, like just turning it off on my bedside table, but I don't know. It needs to be tucked in.
2: Hmm. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned this on a previous episode that. Matt has suggested that my iPad usage was contributing to my night terrors. Mm. And Dr. Matt. Dr. Matt. Sleep, Dr. Matt. (laughs) Sleep, Dr. Matt. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I have been really militant about not having my phone in my room for years. Like, I know that phone usage is not good for someone like me who has, Mm. you know, sleep issues. And yet I had allowed my iPad into the room and it started with like, well, I'm just like playing Mahjong on it. I'm just doing crosswords on it because I didn't have Instagram or Facebook. I like, I know social media on it, but I, I still had like a browser and I could still connect to the internet. And just like, it just happened very gradually that I would be like doing a crossword. And then I'd be like, "Mm, let's see what's going on on the New York times website. You know what I mean? And then like before I knew it, I had spent like 20 or 30 minutes before bed, like reading the news, which is like not great. And the scrolling and the jumping around, just everything that you're describing with your phone, I was like doing on my iPad. Anyway, so I think the last time I talked about this, I'd just been doing it for one night and I was like, didn't have night terrors. So now it's been like four nights, I think, three or four nights. No night terrors.
1: That's crazy.
2: So, you know, co- correlation is not causation, <laughs> but I think it's very interesting that like the, i had, I'd had night terrors for like three or four nights in a row, stopped the iPad and they immediately stopped. So we will see what happens. Um, I've just been reading, I've just been like on my Kindle last time. I was like, is Kindle okay? And I was like, yeah, because like you said, you're just reading. You're not like jumping around. Also, you know, most of the news these days is like pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. And you can also <laughs> read it all day long before yes, bed. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So that has been, I just wanted to give everyone an update on my little experiment. There.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting just us both kind of coming to this conversation about Screens and the kind of negative impact they have, because a conversation that I have with parents of other elementary school age kids is how screen time makes their kids behave or act or respond when you take it away, and it's wild. It's really crazy, um, and it's different than if you turn the TV off. It's different than if you like shut down a video game. Something about screens. Tablet screens, phone screens, and the things they can do on them make them. It turns. It personally turns my kids into like different beings. Wow, and, and not in a good way. And so, seeing the impact it has on them, and then turning a blind eye to the impact it has on me, is something I am working on. But it. it and look, I value the screen. I of love course. a screen. Yeah, life changing. But it is. I, I also just feel like all of our Emotional and mental well being is improved when we have clear boundaries with them, and that's really hard to do. So kudos to you,
2: and kudos to you, and kudos to your younger daughter for seeing you. Look, I'm gonna make her an iPad bed. (laughs) You're gonna have to use more socks. (laughs) You're gonna
1: have to use so many socks.
2: Maybe like like a a leg warmer. (laughs) You know, I have a whole drawer
1: of those. I know know? you do. I always keep a leg warmer on hand. I
2: don't like a cold leg. <laughs> Who does? Who does? Um, the other thing that I just wanted to bring up was that I met with our financial coach mm. this week, Dylan of Dylan Teaches Finance. And we hadn't met with him in January because of Matt having COVID and everything just being really hectic. So I hadn't talked to him in a while. And since I talked, since I last talked to him, I have started my new investing hobby. <laughs> Which I've mentioned, yeah. investor which I've mentioned on the podcast before, and we had a really interesting conversation about it, and we came up with a budget for investing every month. Oh, that's a great idea! Yeah, because it is—it have- is something that I'm enjoying, but I also see, especially with an app like Robinhood, which is like created to basically make you feel like you're in a casino and mm-hmm. is very addictive and makes it very easy to invest. I was like, I need a budget or this could go south. <laughs> well, and just, does, does using an app like that
1: also make it feel like play money and not like bit. real money that's yeah. coming out of your bank account? Yeah, a
2: little bit. Yeah. Um, so I think it was really helpful to talk to him. <clears throat> and he, I mean, to be clear, he is very much in favor of me investing and learning about investing and um kind of figuring all of this out, but he he was also like, let's come up with a budget for you. <laughs> and you know what's also great is like I think it has made me a lot more mindful about purchases mm. because I think as we discussed on a previous episode, that person who wrote in about, you know, how, when you buy something, that money is gone forever. (laughs) But if you invest, like, even if you lose a little bit, you still have the money. And I've just really started thinking about that. Um, And so really thinking about with buying stuff, like, what do I really need? And, and, and in some ways, investing it scratches the same kind of itch. Mm. So, it's been an interesting journey. Financial Dories. is a real,
1: like, side of you that I love to see growing.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much.
1: I can see how also your brain and like instinct and kind of like your analytical side would enjoy the just kind of like the the challenge, the fun of it. It's like almost like a crossword. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's something about it that I think triggers that like playful yeah,
2: side. Definitely. And I think it's also been a really interesting exercise in like my risk tolerance. Ooh boy. You know, and, you know, there are days when the market is down and you look at your account and you're like, oh, and just kind of, being calm and like writing it out is something I'm learning. Okay. I don't know. It's really interesting. So if there are other listeners out there who are into investing, <laughs> get at me. Let's talk about it. Story's going to start an investing podcast.
1: No, but, I'd like
2: to talk about it with other people. I know
1: it's cool. I think it's interesting. I would I would be interested to hear more because I, I I have like I get like frozen in panic every time I look at investments or think about investments.
2: Yeah, and I think that historically a lot of like women identified people have felt mm-hmm. this way mm-hmm. and that is how they have kept us down.
1: So this is about Breaking the patriarchy yes. as well, isn't senator. Yes, this
2: is a hundred percent
1: about breaking the patriarchy. Great. Well, you know I'm on board. That's the ultimate self care is destroying the patriarchy. So
2: totally, I fully, fully agree. All right. Well, let's take a break because when we come back, we are speaking to a, a truly marvelous human Ugh. who, as I said to Kate after we got off the call with her. Um, I was like, she has a real artist vibe.
1: Yes. She was, it's, do you want a spoiler alert?
0: I Soleika, do, yes. <laughs> Jawad.
1: Author, t- writer, journal, er, creative, yeah. musician. Cold plunger. I mean, <laughs> it, it, she talks about her amazing new memoir, Between Two Kingdoms, which chronicles her journey as a very young adult being diagnosed with cancer, and then what came after. And it's just, it's a beautiful book. It was really funny. We had a, a listener email that was like, please email. I mean, this please so... interview Salika so Jawad. She's so great. And she does isolation journals. And I just wrote back and I was like, we just interviewed her today. It came in like
2: an hour after her interview I know! <laughs> It was so amazing. Funny.
1: It was so perfect timing. So we're so excited to share our conversation with her.
2: Yeah. So we'll be right back.
1: Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35.
2: Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast.
1: our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F-35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F-35. That's masterclass.com slash F-35.
2: Our guest today is Suleika Jawad. Welcome to Forever 35, Suleika. Thank you. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Um Sleika is the author of the instant best-selling memoir Between Two Kingdoms. She wrote the Emmy Award-winning New York Times column, Life Interrupted, and her work has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, The Atlantic, Vogue, and NPR, among others. A highly sought-after speaker, her main stage TED Talk was one of the 10 most popular of 2019 and has nearly 4 million views. She's also the creator of the Isolation Journals, a community creativity project founded during the COVID-19 pandemic to help others convert isolation Into Artistic Solitude. Over 100,000 people from around the world have joined. And her book, um, yeah, so her book just came out on February 9th. It's wonderful. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. It's been so exciting and so overwhelming and a little terrifying. It's my first book, so that feels par for the course. And it's a book that came
2: out during the pandemics, which is just a whole other layer of stuff. Yes. And it's a memoir, which is a whole other layer
1: of stuff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Lots of layers. Lots of layers. So
1: many layers to peel back. Um, Well, Sleika, before we really get into it, we, we love to ask our guests uh, at the beginning of an interview to share a self care practice that they have in their lives. It can be quite literally anything. Um, And so we would love to hear if there's one that's resonating with you right now.
0: Hmm. Well, I just did it actually before talking to you two. And it's uh, a new self-care kind of ritual that came about during the pandemic. And it involves a 35-minute breathing meditation and then cold water plunging. Although currently all the swimming holes near where I live are frozen over, so I took a cold shower, which is my, why my hair is dripping wet. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> so- How okay? So I'm so excited. This is what you started with because I've been following your cold plunges on your Instagram. And I, we already have a question in the document about them. So we can just get <laughs> Kate, Kate is very cold plunge curious. I am, <laughs> uh, uh, we've had a lot of listeners who have written into us about how, um, either cold showering, cold bathing has helped with insomnia, nervous system, trauma, experiencing things. So can we start from the beginning? Like, how did you come into this? What has it? done for you in your life and how do you maintain the practice especially like now that it is 20 to not even 20 degrees i'm sure it's colder than that where you are
0: Uh, very good questions that i ask myself every time i find (laughs) myself submerging my body into freezing water um so um i live not far uh from the great elizabeth gilbert and the first time We had a friend date. We went for a walk and we passed a swimming hole and she proceeded to rip off her clothes and to jump in the water. So naturally I did the same and it felt so good, uh, especially in this time where I don't know about you, but I'm spending a lot of time at my computer on Zoom calls Um, and it had this way of kind of immediately resetting. Our nervous system. Um, and so we decided that we were going to do it every day. And because we kind of wanted to make it into more of a ritual and because both of us can't stand to be in cold water for longer than two minutes, we added in this breathing meditation and became really interested in Wim Hof and the science behind breathing. So that is what we've done every day until recently when it just got too damn cold. Um, so now I take a cold shower instead of jumping in the freezing water. But I think, you know, part of it was, um, my wanting to get into meditation. I'm someone who has always struggled with meditation. I'm incapable of sitting in a chair with my eyes closed for even like five minutes. Um, and something about the breathing felt, um, not just uh, active, but kind of focusing in this way. It's like you're, you're meditating, but you're also doing these pretty strenuous breathing exercises. And the other piece of it was that in this time of pandemic, um, it really became a kind of creative approach to gathering, um, mm. you know, in a life pre COVID, I don't know about you, but like most social plans revolved around like going out for drinks or, going out to dinner. Um, And I don't miss that part of life, you know, before. Um, But I do, you know, miss my friends. I do miss conversation. And this felt like a really kind of interesting, productive way to um, gather. And so every single day at around 4 or 5 p.m., Liz and I and and two of girlfriends would do this together and we would do it outside. And it just felt so beautiful Um, and so unlike anything that we would ever have thought to do before all this happened.
2: Does someone lead the meditation? Do you do it? Do you do a recorded meditation?
0: Yeah. So we um, listen to a recorded meditation on an app called Insight Timer Mm -hmm. that's led by um, a guy from Nashville by the name of Taylor Somerville. And he has like this. Gloriously, you know, beautiful Southern accent, which is, and he's kind of broy in this way that feels like a real relief from you know the typical feathery shavasana whisper of a yogi. Um, and he just kind of keeps it real and, and guides you through these these breathing exercises. Um, but yeah, it's been one of the highlights of the last couple months.
1: I love. And that. how how long uh, are you plunging for? And has have you built up your tolerance, or is it? challenging every time
0: it is challenging and electrifying every Mm. single time um yeah and we do it in the buff much to the horror of our neighbors uh, (laughs) who i'm sure are traumatized by having to see our like pasty bodies jumping into the water every day um but yeah so i mean depending on the day we go in for a minute sometimes we've gone in for five or six um we haven't really tried to force ourselves to stay in for any amount of time, because then it starts to feel like work and not like something that we're kind of voluntarily electing to do. Um, but it's been it's been really magical. Um, uh-huh. And no matter what kind of day I'm having, especially if I'm having like a day where I'm feeling overwhelmed or anxious, it just completely resets—not uh, just my body, but my entire personality. <laughs> Wow. And just to be clear, I'm not someone who is like always uh, like promoting different wellness activities. This is the first time I've actually taken to something that's stuck.
1: <laughs> Isn't it interesting too when like one of the things actually works? I always feel like I'll go into everything with a healthy dose of skepticism and
0: then you're like, oh god, this thing, it's great. Totally. And it's so you know, individual. I have, I'm I've tried so many things. For a while I had bought this juicer off of Craigslist and for about like three days I made myself these gag inducing pill <laughs> concoctions and then I was like, Nope, <laughs> not for me. I've, you know, gotten gym memberships that I'll like commit to for a week and then never go again. So I've really kind of struggled, And uh, not just to find something that works for me, but to actually figure out how to consistently make it part of my day.
2: One last well, question uh, about this. Um uh, can you can you kind of briefly describe the benefits? Like what do you get out of the meditation and the cold plunging?
0: Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Um so the breathing uh is a very intense experience. You get kind of tingly all over your body. It almost feels like a kind of high um and that is something that like at least for me the more I've done it the more aware I've become of mm. my breath and the power of breath and the ways in which often I'm holding my breath or not breathing at all. Um, and it's actually like a pretty physically rigorous kind of exercise. I remember the first week I did it, I was sore in my rib cage and in my shoulders. Um, as for the breathing, I mean, cold water has so many benefits and i'm not an expert or a scientist so i won't go into too much detail but you know there have been studies that show that cold water plunging can actually stimulate your white blood cell production and boost your immune system it can help sleep and anxiety and stress um and if you don't have a swimming hole you can always fill your bathtub with ice or or take a cold shower (laughs) i i
1: I wanted to just kind of ask too about your ex, how you, you've experienced wellness as a person who've all, who has also experienced cancer and illness. Because I, I feel like so often when someone is diagnosed specifically with cancer, but with, me- with anything, numerous wellness practices are thrust upon them mm. from many people. And I'm curious if that was, if that was your experience and how you navigated that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. is the answer, short answer. Um, I, you know, grew up in a house with a mom who was like an organic goddess before that was something that was cool. She was, you know, making her own yogurt and, and brewing kombucha and we weren't allowed to eat sugar. Or anything like artificial food coloring, which turned my brother and me into complete fiends. Like we would go to uh-huh. other people's houses and just like eat an entire box of Oreos. Um, she was also the mom who, on Halloween, would hand out uh, organic unshelled peanuts and number two pencils instead of candy, which was <laughs> oh my gosh. horrifying oh, to me. Oh boy! Um, but all this to say that you know, when I got diagnosed with leukemia at the age of twenty-two. Um I had a lot of different emotions and one of them was anger. Like I felt like I was someone who had always been healthy. I'd never eaten a bone. In fact, I'd probably been healthier than most, and yet this, you know, terrible thing had befallen me. And I think it was um a kind of important early lesson in that like you know illnesses like cancer don't discriminate they don't care how old you are they don't care how fit you are like sometimes these things just happen and you can search and search for a reason why and you'll find yourself going down a very unproductive rabbit hole um so the irony is in a lot of ways i was never more unhealthy than i became after i got sick Um, I was, you know, I lost so much weight that my mom was the one thrusting the Oreo box at me and like bringing me milkshakes every day, anything to get me to eat. Um, but in terms of like the wellness complex, I, you know, very early on developed a pretty fraught relationship with it. Um, when you get sick, a lot of people give you a ton of unsolicited medical advice and I got a lot of everything from like how to cure my leukemia with juicing and apricot seeds to coffee enemas. Um, and early on, actually, I went to go see, um, a, an alternative uh, medicine, medicine, uh, doctor who I had, you know, a pretty dramatic experience with, um, Within seconds of arriving, he told me that if I went through with my chemotherapy treatments, um, I was going to die. And if I didn't follow his advice, um, I was going to die. And it was like this horrifying, like two hour experience of him just like stomping his feet and preaching at me. Um, And, you know, toward the end of it, my mom literally put her fist down on the table when he went to go draw my blood with unwashed hands and Ooh. yet he still managed on our way out to convince us to buy like $200 worth of vitamin supplements and um, aloe vera juice and I think you know I think about that experience a lot because when you are afraid for your life when you're afraid for your kid's life there's a way in which logic goes out the window you're desperate to fix the situation, you're desperate for hope, um, and that's a really vulnerable position to be in. And after that experience, you know, and I have a great amount of respect for alternative medicine, and there are a lot of extraordinary practitioners. Um, but this particular experience made me aware of the ways in which often the most vulnerable. People in our population are also the ones who get taken advantage of. Or, um, yeah.
1: Thank you for sharing about that. That's that's really interesting, and that must have been. I mean, that just sounds like a really harrowing, traumatic experience.
0: It was, and you know, with time, it kind of became funny to us. We called him yeah. the Cancer Guru, um, <laughs> and that was our our kind of shorthand nickname for him. Um, but when you get sick, you know, there's this element of absurdity that gets introduced pretty early on. Um, and you know, a lot of people mean well, but like, not just in terms of the, the health advice people give you, but the things people say. Um, is, it's all its own kind of surreal experience.
2: Yeah, you're reminding me of. I don't know if you listened to the uh, second season of the Dream Jane Marie's podcast, but she it's about the wellness industry, mm-hmm. and um, she talks a lot about what you're talking about. How pe- you know people are desperate for something that is going to help them, um, and kind of getting taken in by people who, at the end of the day, don't really have your best interests at heart, <laughs> um, is is really challenging so um
0: and I think you know part of it too is that you have to cede so much control when you're sick um you cede control to like whatever mysterious things are happening in your body you cede control to your healthcare team to your caregivers um and I think you know for me and I know for like a lot of friends of mine who have been sick um need to find ways to feel like you're you're doing something like you're participating in your care and i think that can look all kinds of ways and it can be productive but it can also lead you um down these rabbit holes
2: that kind of reminds me of um the part of your book where you talk about not being told about infertility Mm. um and how you were going to have to you know if you wanted to have children after your treatments you would have to freeze your eggs or freeze embryos and you write it was my first indication that no matter how brilliant and compassionate my doctors might be i would have to be proactive and learn to advocate for myself mm-hmm. and i i also thought about that in the very beginning of your book when you kind of talk about how long it took to get diagnosed mm-hmm. right like you were you went to you saw so many doctors and were told so many different things that did not turn out to be accurate. Um, So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what that experience was like, as a patient, and kind of how you look back on it now.
0: Yeah, so, you know, in the summer of 2010, I just graduated from college, and I was interested in becoming a journalist, um, although that seemed difficult to figure out how to do given that the recession had happened not long before. Um, And so I got a job as a paralegal and moved to Paris, which was thrilling. And I was so excited to be there. You know, Paris is one of the most beautiful cities.
2: And we Um, should also say French is your first language, right?
0: French is my first language. Yes. So you didn't just randomly
2: pick up and move to Paris. You also, yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, I found myself in Paris and I was working this job and, um, I had a new relationship and things were really, you know, um, going well. And yet I had, you know, had this kind of mysterious itch for a while and I was like getting winded, just walking up a flight of stairs and I was so pale that my skin looked almost translucent, um, which in retrospect seemed like these like very clear indicators that something is wrong. But because I was twenty two, you know, illness wasn't in my vocabulary. I felt I think like a lot of young people invincible and I told myself I needed, you know, to get a gym membership because maybe that might help with my shortness of breath or I needed, you know, to buy some blush to add a little color to my cheeks. Like I was really kind of grasping for these other explanations. Um, but the biggest symptom was that fatigue. And, um, I, uh, was even hospitalized for a week, uh, in Paris. And at the end of it, you know, they released me with a diagnosis of burnout syndrome. And this bigger kind of doubt started to creep into my mind, which was that I somehow, wasn't cut out for the adult world um the fact that I was sleeping in the utility closet at the law firm where I worked you know wasn't evidence of some you know health struggle it was evidence of some kind of deficit on my part and I think this is an experience that a lot of people have but a lot of young women have especially um where you know you don't necessarily always feel taken seriously doctors. um, But maybe, you know, more insidiously, you don't take yourself seriously, or I didn't take myself seriously. Um, And so after almost, you know, six months of shuttling around to different doctors and getting sent home, you know, with antibiotics or um, some kind of, you know, prescription for a very specific symptom, um, by the time I actually went to see a doctor who took a big step back, and understood that something was really wrong. Um, and by the time I got my bone marrow uh, biopsy that led to my actual diagnosis, um, I felt, you know, terror, obviously, and I was devastated, but I also weirdly felt relief um, mm. because after so long of not feeling believed, I had an explanation for my unraveling. I wasn't a hypochondriac. I wasn't, you know, somehow unable to muster the endurance or the stamina to work a normal job. And I had an explanation. Um, and I think, um, you know, not just through my own experience, but through stories of other people that I've met, this is not an uncommon experience. There's a way in which you know, you might say, oh, they have the medical degree, not me. Um, but I've learned time and time again, the hard way that you have to trust your instincts, you, you know, your body better than anybody else. And when something doesn't feel right, you have to believe that before you believe anybody else.
1: Yeah, wow. That's a tough lesson to learn at any time in your life, but especially as a Young adult. I mean, that's. Yeah. I st- I still feel like I'm learning that as a 42 year old. Um, I wanted to ask about the isolation journals and, and and in general what journaling has meant to you as a practice throughout your mm-hmm. life. Um, how is it, and how how is it transformed into this larger thing that now involves so many people, and what what do you think it it gives us?
0: Uh, um. So I have been journaling. as long as I can remember since I was old enough to hold a pen Um, I think for me like the journal has always felt like this free almost kind of feral space it's like one of the rare places where you can write um, without caring how it sounds or if it's any good Um, and I've used it as a confessional booth. I you know when I was like in middle school, I would write these, um, ask, you know, short stories of like aspirational female protagonists who were like very much, uh, the, the woman I, I wanted to become. I wrote all kinds of lies about boys I said I kissed that I never had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I got sick, you know, I, I stopped journaling. I, I stopped doing most of the things. That I really loved. It was so hard to figure out what I could possibly contribute uh, when I was stuck in a hospital bed. What I could possibly mm. do, um, and it was only towards uh, the end of that first summer that I spent in the hospital, I been in isolation in a hospital room for nearly six weeks, um, that a friend came up with the idea of a hundred day project. And the concept was really simple: we would each do one creative thing every day for a hundred days, and you know, for my dad, um, he decided to write 100 childhood memories mm-hmm. that he made into a little booklet and gave to me. Um, for my mom, she's a painter; she uh, painted a little ceramic tile every day for 100 days and then assembled them into a shield and hung it above my bed in my childhood bedroom and told me it had come Wow! Hours. <sighs> and for my 100-day project, I decided to go back to the same that I'd always loved to do, which was to journal. And I set the bar very low for myself. Um, and I kind of committed to writing every day, You know, reassured myself that it didn't matter how long it was. And often it was like a sentence, and sometimes it was just the F word. Um, <laughs> but something interesting happened during that process. I, you know, journaling from the kind of front lines of my hospital bed and, and reflecting... And what I was living in real time and really kind of like trying to excavate meaning out of it had this weird way of alchemizing my illness and, and that experience of suffering into something meaningful. Um, and, you know, Viktor Frankl in uh, A Man's Search for Meaning, writes about this very thing he says suffering I'm paraphrasing but suffering ceases to be suffering when we turn it when we make meaning out of it um and that was true for me and so when um everyone went into lockdown almost a year ago I started to think about all the things I'd learned from my experience of being stuck at home in isolation and thought about this 100-day project and and what journaling has given me and decided to kind of reprise that idea um, and to invite, you know, my community to participate. Um, But I did it a little differently. I asked um, different friends and artists and musicians and community leaders to offer some words of inspiration and a journaling prompt. Um, and by the end of that first month, we had over 100,000 people who had joined from all over the world. And it was, to me, like this really beautiful example of how we can transform isolation, not just into like a kind of creative solitude, but into connection and community, especially when we kind of dare to share our creative work or our stories.
1: I mean, that that's, for me, what stood out about your book is it felt like at its core, it's about human connection through these stories that you share of your friendships, um, relationships. And then toward the end of the book, traveling the country to to meet all these people who had communicated with you. I mean, that was such a moving... Your whole book is incredibly moving. Very choked up reading the entire thing. But the end, I was when like the real mess of my face came out because, <laughs> you know... It, it, like we are isolated right now physically from from so many people. We are going through this kind of very extreme cultural divide in so many ways. What are your thoughts on how to strengthen the bond of human connection? I mean, I think that's you you put it so beautifully, um, mm. and that seems like such a core part of who you are.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know in these moments that's great loneliness or great despair, we become very aware of how much we need others. Um, especially when you're sick. Um, I had always, you know, prided myself on being independent, um, and never asking for help. And of course, after I got sick, I needed a lot of help. I needed help with everything from, like, fixing a sandwich to, you know, doing the most basic things like showering. And I realized that my version of independence was the opposite of vulnerability. Um, and there was even a kind of arrogance in it. Like, I don't need anybody. I can do things by myself. I can bootstrap my way. And mm. so I realized for me, like the greatest act of, of not just humility, but of love, is um, reaching out to someone in their moment of despair or when you're the person in that moment of despair like reaching your hand out um, and you know I've been the recipient of so much generosity um, and not from the people I expected. Uh, when I was sick I heard from you know so many, So many strangers, so many friends of friends, and you know, the friends I thought were going to be there weren't always there, but so many others showed up, um, and so I, um, feel like I got a kind of master class in showing up, um, and, uh, it was a real realization for me that, like, the, the greatest test of any relationship or any friendship um it is is how we how we respond uh, when we you know have to bear witness to someone who's suffering um it's like the yeah the test that that all relationships seem to arc towards mm.
2: Okay, go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say. I mean, uh,
1: the other relationship that I love that you talk about is the one with your dog. Yeah. And I feel like so often, like people poo-poo the relationships we have with animals. Oh, he's here. Yeah. Oh, is he? Hi! Yeah, oh, yes, I'm sorry. Was, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had my I had my question document open. Um, uh, but like, could you just speak briefly about? What is, what, what does it mean to have a relationship with an animal and how does it Mm -hmm. contribute to kind of healing from, from trauma and through grief? What Mm -hmm. has he meant to you in your life?
0: So I have always loved animals. Um, but, uh, after I had a bone marrow transplant, I was at home and really isolated. I wasn't allowed. to leave my apartment or going to public spaces and most of my friends, you know, were working and, you know, going to parties and traveling and all the other kind of big and small milestones um, of being in your early 20s. And so that old kind of like childhood yearning for a pet came back times 10,000. Um, and every time I'd see my oncologist, I'd say, can I get a dog? And he'd say, absolutely not. Um, and one day I showed up at the hospital and he wasn't there and my replacement doctor was very auspiciously named Dr. Barker. And oh my immediately <laughs> I said, can I get a dog? And she said, actually, I think that's a, that's a good idea. You know, dogs can be very healing. So that afternoon I went to a rescue organization and I adopted Oscar and pretty immediately, like within 36 hours, I started to fantasize about returning him Um, and felt like I had made a huge mistake. Because I, at that point, you know, even just walking from my bed to the kitchen was a struggle, let alone going, you know, outside with a um, puppy that wasn't potty trained, you know, 20 times a day. But as challenging as it was to raise this very badly behaved little terrier mutt, um, we really kind of grew up together. I had lost all of my vaccinations during my bone marrow transplant. So we were actually on the same vaccine schedule for that early year. Um, he, you know, he forced me to kind of develop a structure to my days and to focus on, on his needs rather than my own, which was a novelty, um, someone, who, you know, who was sick and who had to be kind of focused on my own symptoms. Um, but the biggest thing and I think the most beautiful thing about dogs is like they don't care if you're feeling, you know, nauseated because you just had chemo. They don't, you know, care if you've lost your hair. They don't care what you're dealing with. They just love you and they want to play with you and they want to go for walks. And there's like a beautiful <laughs> simplicity to that relationship. Um Whenever people ask me if I have advice, um, I always say, like, if you are in a difficult place in your life, consider getting a dog. I mean, first, yeah. make sure that you can responsibly take care of it. Um, but yeah, he's, he's by far one of the best decisions I made in my twenties. And he's been my, my road dog, not just during treatment, but during that 15,000 mile road trip I took when I was recovering from it. Um, he's still. My little buddy. He's
1: Aww.
2: Sorry. I got <laughs> I know. I, I don't know where my dog is. I was hoping she yeah. was here. Um. Well, before we wrap up, we do always like to ask our guests about their skincare routines. <laughs> On a totally different note. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, do you have a skincare routine and what is it? Hmm.
0: Well... My skincare routine since the pandemic has dramatically simplified. I feel like whenever I I put makeup on, I'm like wearing a ball gown or something. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. My skincare routine is is pretty simple. I um, use uh, this apricot seed exfoliator face cleanser. Um, it's it minty and always like makes me feel glowy and fresh. And then I'm I'm big on face oils. Um, and so I don't know how granular you want me to get. Um, get um, into the grand. Super granular. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, why am I blinking on the name? It's an Ayurvedic face oil that I slather all over my face. Um, and the other thing that, because I live in a cold, snowy place, That is my skincare essential in the winter is I have like a small, uh, little humidifier that sits on my desk and I'll kind of Mm -hmm. steam my face with it. Um, so that's pretty much it. That's as simple as it gets. Occasionally I'll do a, you know, a tinted moisturizer and a little like brow gel. Um, but I don't know about you. It's been nice, uh... Not to wear makeup and and not to wear pants with zippers or buttons. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm wearing
2: sweatpants right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm miraculously
1: in a pair of jeans. I don't know what happened today. Maybe it's the interview you got me motivated. Yeah, I I know. Look at you. I am profoundly honored. (laughs) It's you earned jeans. That's how (laughs) esteemed you are in my book. (laughs) <laughs> um, well, Salika, this has been, it's been so great to get to speak to you. Your book is really special and, um, yeah. we loved getting to read it and getting to talk to you. For our listeners, where, where can they learn more about you? Where can they find info about you and the isolation journals and your book and follow along with all that you do?
0: Yeah. So on my website, SuleikaJawad.com. Um, and for the isolation journals, you can sign up for um, our free weekly newsletter, which has these prompts, um, I think by some of your, your past guests, like Ashley, um, C. Ford, and different incredible people. Um, but yeah, you can sign up for that on the dot and come hang out with me on Instagram. I only have the appetite for like one social media platform at a time. Um,
1: I hear yeah. that. That sounds very wise. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you again. Yeah. Thank you. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad; they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Okay, which is
2: okay. I know a
1: bull on my (sighs) neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, Oneskin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like creppiness. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. And please support our show and tell them we sent you.
2: I I I wanted to. I feel like I should have asked like more questions about the uh, back house that she was recording from.
1: <laughs> yeah, she was in a essentially like a work shed with no heat aside from a wood burning stove.
2: Yeah, but she looked very comfortable. But she does have this very serene sort of like nothing really phases her mm-hmm. kind of vibe. So, like the cold might not bother her. Yes, the cold exactly. never bothered cold. her anyway. To quote, "Froze." Yes. I was going to say the same thing. So I'm glad you you busted it out first. Yep. It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful workspace. Suleika, so just a delight. And if you haven't picked up her book yet, highly, highly Ooh. recommend.
1: Cry yeah. warning. Cry warning, though. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was cry really warning. crying at the end. It was, it's really beautiful. She's just an incredibly insightful person. Uh, and she's such a beautiful
2: writer. Yeah, she is. Like yeah. on a on a sentence level. She's a you're, beautiful writer. You're going to want a highlighter. Yes.
1: For this Good book. Point. Good yep. point. Get a highlighter.
2: Um, so Kate, <sighs> did you clean up your disgusting and messy workspace? <laughs> I did. I cleaned it
1: up. I like, I had bought all this stuff. I'm in, I'm in like a very kind of book revision headspace. I'm spending a lot of time writing and I bought like, I'll show you. I bought like 8,000 pens and I put them away. I bought some Le Pen and then I bought some crystal, some Bic crystals recommended by past gas jet hat maker. And I bought myself this beautiful little desk mat. I bought it on Amazon and I had bought them for my kids also because they're working in our dining room and I wanted to be able to like have them each have a little space
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
1: I'll link to that because it it actually kind of helped me set up my workspace. It doubles as a mouse pad. Now look, yesterday were there two empty yogurt containers just like rotting on my desk, making the whole room smell like yogurt. Yes, but I washed everything. I kind of reorganized. It's just very easy for me to like get messy as I'm working. So
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I fully relate to that.
1: Yeah but i did clean it up and it feels good and it helped me kind of focus on the work i have ahead of me which i'm really excited to be doing
2: good so, so what do you what do you have going on this week
1: okay listen circling back to what we were talking about up top i'm going to try to put my phone to bed every night by 9:30 9:30 okay. is is realistic for me it then helps me like i then go and like do my skincare stuff Which is very soothing to me. I do all my little tools and rituals, and then I get, you know, floss my teeth, and then I get into bed with my book and read. Also, I am stretching while I brush my teeth, per a listener recommendation.
2: Okay.
1: Okay. It's kind of nice. That listener was right. I just do like some like lungy kind of hip stretches, and it feels pretty good while the toothbrush is going away. So, that's my plan. I'm going to see if I can keep up with my uh, my phone
2: bed. I'm excited for you.
1: How is your entry way, which you were going to clean last week, per mm, your intention?
2: It's cleaner. It's not clean. Okay, but it's cleaner. But I I still have a ways to go on it. So no shame in that game. We shall see. And then this week, I just, there's like some like life admin stuff I need to catch up on, like some bills I need to pay. And you know what I mean? Like the, those mm-hmm. kinds of get some tax stuff sorted out. And I just need to kind of deal with all that stuff. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. It's all that stuff that, you know, you stress about for so long then when you actually sit down to do it, it takes three minutes.
1: Oh, ho, ho, ho. you know that stuff. I know that
2: I do. For me, that stuff is like mailing back
1: package returns, totally. Or I'm like, I can't bring myself to print the label, right? And then I do it, and <laughs> it takes two seconds. And I like yeah. just wait till the last possible day that I could return Yeah, I,
2: yes, yes. Exactly. I mean, like, tax,
1: taxes, and tax documents. That's a whole. That's a, a
2: whole thing. So yeah, so that is my intention for this week. I know I'll feel better once it's all done. Blah, blah, blah. But, you know. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Just have to put it out there.
1: All right. Well, I can't wait to see how you do with the blah, blah, blah. Thank you so
2: much. Thank you. You
1: are so welcome.
2: <sighs> well, listen. Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Doris Shafrir, and you, Kate Spencer, and produced mm-hmm. and edited by Sammy Junio. And Sam Reed is our project manager. Our network partner is ACAST. We will
0: talk to you all very soon. Bye. Bye.